This teaching comes to you from the team at Anchor Church Sydney. We hope you're blessed by it. For more teachings, resources or info, check out our website www.anchorchurch.com.au Well hey, if you have a Bible, why don't you grab that out? Why don't you grab out your Bible or open up the YouVersion app? And this morning we're going to be hearing a message from Psalm 103. Excuse me, so... Open up to Psalm 103, I'll be reading the whole psalm, and if you don't have a Bible, the words will be up on the screen behind me, you can follow along there as well. Psalm 103, praise the Lord my soul, all my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins, and heals all your diseases who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his way to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it and it is gone and its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children, with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works, everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, my soul. Guys, how are we? Good. I feel like it's more than normal when people say good. Sometimes like three people... Sometimes it's like 10, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take that and honour that. Um, well, sickness is going around as well. So I've been talking to a few people this morning, you can hear it in their throat, you're like, you've been sick this week. Like, I don't want to say it because you want to be rude, but you know. Um, and it's at an awkward stage now where it's like, is it COVID? Like, the flu's going around, is it COVID? Are you okay to be here? But we're glad you're here today, so thanks for coming. Um, like James said, my name's James, I'm one of the pastors here. We're taking a pause again in our series in Ecclesiastes. Hello to those online, by the way. Um, we're taking a pause just for two weeks. This is, I think, like a TV series. Do you know how like, they have like, those like, self-contained episodes? Where you're like, this isn't, really, this isn't really part of the plot, but this is good as well. Um, this is a kind of self-contained episode that we're doing right now um, in Psalm 103. It's a really popular psalm. You've probably heard it. Even if you haven't been to church before, there's like, kind of little sayings there that you hear, and you're like, yeah, I can pick up on that. I know what that's saying. Um, but it's one of my favourite psalms, so I'm really, really happy and excited to be preaching today. 
Um, but I'm going to pray before we do that. I'm going to ask God for help and that my voice doesn't give way. So let's pray. Father, we thank you that we have the privilege of being able to meet in a church building, free from persecution. We don't have to fear for our lives. Um, that we have the privilege to gather as a church family. And we have the privilege of sitting under your word. We pray today as we sit under Psalm 103, a passage that might be familiar to a lot of us, that you give us ears to hear. Give us softened hearts to be shaped by your word. Father, I pray that we don't leave here the same people we came in as. Father, shape us and change us to be more like your son. We pray in Jesus' beautiful and powerful name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Well, a little fun fact about me is I love candid photography. Like, I'm not a big fan of, like, the kind of staged photos. One, because I think I feel awkward in them. Um, but there's something special about candid photography where you kind of get a glimpse into something that you feel like you shouldn't be getting a glimpse into. A kind of private moment. And there's this really cool Instagram page that I used to check out a fair bit. Um, it's by the New York Times. It's called the New York Times Archives. And it's just a, a collection of photos since kind of the dawn of photojournalism, um, which is focused on like different photos throughout history. And you kind of get like things from like the late 1800s when you know, the photos took like four years to develop and you had to set it up for like the solid, the, the sun had to, I don't know what happened. It was just old school um, to like the, the photos that happened like two years ago. Um, but there's something different about them because it reveals a kind of intimate side of a person. And particularly because a lot of them are like historical photos, figures that we, you see in the history books, um, that you read about, that you study. And there's one particular photo from the 1960s that will pop up on the screen um, of the 35th US president, of course I know that, um, John F. Kennedy. There he is. Sorry. You've probably seen this photo before. It's a pretty classic photo. You can debate whether it's candid or not. Most likely it was kind of staged. But I like to think it's candid. Of John F. Kennedy, who was a president of the United States at the time, with his son, his three-year-old son, also named John F. Kennedy, um, sitting down to the desk. And I love this photo so much because it just reveals a side of someone that you see on TV or that you've read in the history books that you haven't seen before. Um, the, most, the most powerful person in the world at the time. I think 1960s America, Cold War, the most powerful man in the world at the time. In the most powerful office, the Oval Office in the world at the time. And under his desk is his infant son just sitting there. You can imagine like maybe his, his dad's in an important meeting, maybe he's meeting with some generals, he's navigating some tough issues at the time, trying to work out how to bring the world from the brink of nuclear war. And yet there's his son, and his son's not there based on anything he's done. He's not a general, he's not a senior advisor to the president, he's not an ambassador, but he's there because of what his father's done and who his father is. He doesn't have to be the head of a foreign state to get access to the Oval Office. He can, just, he can just rock up whenever he wants, just walk in and play under his father's desk. He doesn't need an appointment. He doesn't need to walk in and kind of salute and stand at attention. He walks in, he gets to call him dad. And in the same way, the president, John F. Kennedy, he didn't say his son is just an advisor. Hopefully not. He, he didn't say his son is someone he's going to get something from or you know, a political opponent is trying to manoeuvre. But his, his son, who he loves, his child. And the son knows the dad. 
to, to JFK Jr. He's not some cartoon that you read in the newspaper or someone that you see at press conferences. You just walk in and you get to call him dad. And he loves his father because he knows him. He trusts him. And he has access to him. And while people might have this idea about who JFK is, the son knows. In many ways, it's kind of similar to how the 21st century Western world views God. Like a lot of people have ideas about who God is. Um, Recrindle Research did a survey during the pandemic where they, they surveyed thousands of people and I think it was like something about 70% of people between the ages of like 18 to 35 believed that there was some, called like some sort of high being. They believed that there was a God, but they, they don't know him. They might have an idea of what pop culture says or what they see in different countries who people say God is, what they stand for. Some people see God as this angry judge. Some people saw him as this kind of like ball of energy, just this force, this impersonal force. Part of that was some people saw him as just, you know, he just kind of set things in motion thousands of years ago and now he just stepped back. The world's just going, he just kind of turned it on and he's like, whatever happens, happens and leaves it. Some people see him as just kind of like, this loving grandfather type figure, or a friend. And because we live in a culture of choice in the 21st century, where we have a multiple things, uh, multitude of things to choose from, what we end up doing is we kind of pick different ideas about who God is, and we kind of make him flat, two-dimensional. But what we see in Psalm 103, and throughout the whole Bible, is that God's complex. We can't fit God neatly into this little box This is who God is in a one-sentence thing. And today we'll see that God is a compassionate father. We'll see that he's a loving friend. We'll see that he's a judge. And today I'll do a little something different. Normally at Anchor we go through a passage like verse by verse. Um, We go through a book of the Bible. But today I'm kind of starting in the middle. I'm going down to the end. And then I'm starting back. I'm ending at the start. So bear with me. It's a bit of a journey. Um, But it'll make sense as we go through it. Um, but we'll see that God is a compassionate Father. And my prayer for you today, what I've been praying for us as a church family, um, for those of us who are visiting, is that you will leave here today knowing how much God loves you. That you will leave here today having your affection stirred for Him as your Father. That's, that's my simple goal. Um, we're going to see three different things about how we're going to respond to that. The first thing is, what we see from God's character is that we have complete and absolute safety. So look at verse 13 with me. In 14, it says this. It says, As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. I don't even know it's the kind of emotive language that David, who, who wrote this psalm, um, is using here. Because it's hard to pick up in English. We kind of gloss over it a little bit. Because the English translation has the word Compassion. But in the Hebrew, it's, it's, it's much more emotive than just compassion. It's a thing that comes from like deep within you, this, from the bowels of your being that just overflows out. The Lord has compassion. And in the Hebrew, it's, it's actually encapsulating the love that a mother has for their newborn child. It's the love that when the baby is born and the, the parents, particularly the mother, hold the baby for the first time and see their, their child for the first time, that overwhelming, over 
encompassing all of from your fiber of your being love that you have for that child. That's the love that is speaking about in this passage when it says compassion. So it's love that just comes from just deep within you. It's profoundly deep. It's visual. Like it's, it's all-encompassing love for something. And like it, it's hard to convey in just human language what it's trying to say here. The word compassion is used in other places for the same purpose. And we see that um, elsewhere in the Old Testament with King Solomon in 1 Kings 3.26. It won't be on the screen. But it's a story of how a mother's child passes away during the, like, during the night. And what she does is she goes and takes a child from another room um, from a sleeping mother and kidnaps a child as her own. And the next day, the, the, the true mother realizes what has happened. And she goes to King Solomon and she says, like, someone stole my child. And the king listens to the dispute with the two mothers. And he comes up with a solution to, to cut the child in half, which is pretty hectic. <laughs> it's a pretty heavy solution, but there's a point to it. Um, cut the child in half and give each half to either of the parents. In verse 26, he says this. This is 1 Kings 3. It says, A woman whose son was alive was deeply moved out of love, which is the same kind of word that's used for compassion, the, that deep love for her son. And she said to the king, Please, my lord, give the living baby to her. Don't kill him. And the true mother took it upon herself as a liar in that moment, even though she wasn't. She gives her son to the woman who stole hers because she loved her son so much and she didn't want him to die. And in, ancient, in the ancient Near East, to, to lie to the king is a pretty big deal. Normally, the, the punishment is a capital offence. We executed. But she counted the cost because she loved her child and she cared so much about her child. And this is the kind of motherly love that's on display. This is the, the compassion that's spoken about in Psalm 103, this self-sacrificial, this counting the cost, giving yourself over, is all-encompassing, this deep, profound love. It's this otherworldly type of powerful love. And the idea that God loves us needs to be foundational to our identities as followers of Jesus. The idea that God loves us, not just a future version of you, but you now, needs to be the absolute foundation of our faith. It needs to be something that soaks into every fiber of our soul, that God, that God actually loves you. I don't know how often you think about that, that God actually loves you. Um, probably not often enough, if you're anything like me. And that when Jesus looks at us, when God looks at us, he sees an absolute beauty. That talks about how, like, I think one of the Puritans said that God views us and his love for us is so great and we're so beautiful to him that compared to all the jewels under the earth, that we just don't compare. We're so much more precious and, and beautiful and treasured by him. We saw in Psalm 103 that God loves us as far as the east is from the west. I don't know if you've gone to like the desert or you've been out in the open ocean and you look at the two horizons. They're far, right? Like it just keeps going. From your other perspective, it just keeps going and going. And particularly from the ancient Near East authors of, or David, like he wasn't thinking about like, you know, I mean, space keeps going and going. Like, but we know that. Like we know that as far as the heavens are above the earth, you can't measure it because it just keeps going and going and going. And that's how much God loves us. It's, it, you can't imagine it or f- begin to fully comprehend it. 
And not only that, it talks about how that's as far as God has separated our sin from us. As far as the earth is to the heavens. As far as space keeps going and going, which is pretty much infinite. That's how much he's separated our sin from us when we're in Christ Jesus. We see further in verse 14 that one of the reasons that God shows his compassion towards us is that it says, for he knows how we are formed and he remembers that we are dust. Like God knows that we're fragile. He knows that like dust we can crumble. Maybe you've had one of those weeks, you just feel like, you just feel fragile. You just feel like your world's crumbling around you. Like God, he knows we make mistakes. He knows we sin. And despite all that, despite our kind of dustness, he loves us and he shows compassion towards us. That being loved by God as our Father gives us absolute security. Because we know that his love for us isn't based on anything that we can do, but his grace towards us. His love towards us isn't based on how he's feeling that day, it's not based on our kind of KPIs that week. Are we, are we reaching what we need to reach? It isn't based on external circumstances. His love for us isn't based on performance. It's based on his heavenly father love, his, his fatherly love, that compassion that a mother has towards their children. Um, think about it this way. I've been very blessed to have an amazing dad. I know it's not everyone's story, uh, but thankfully I've had a great dad um, growing up. And fathers, unlike friends, they kind of have to stick by you most of the time. Like if you break your friend's trust over and over again, if you're, I don't know, horrible friends, they can drop you pretty easily, right? They can move past you. And that eventually that friendship will kind of break down. But with a dad, well, at least my dad, but despite me being a pretty horrible teenager, I want to confess that before everyone, and letting him down in various ways, his love for me never changed. It wasn't based on how I was performing that week or, you know what I mean, if I got sent out of class three times versus two times or whatever it looked like. More than that, my dad loves me for me. Like, he didn't hold me as a newborn baby, like little baby James at Hurstville Hospital. He didn't hold me and look at me and think, man, I'm going to love this kid one day. Like, one day he's going to be like this, then I'll love him. Like, well, he did, I hope not. I know he didn't. <laughs> like, he didn't love like, some future version of me. He didn't love me for what I was going to be one day, what I was going to do one day. He held me in his arms and looked at me and said, this is, this is, James. This is my son. This is James. I, like, this, I love him. Like, he loved me in that moment. It's the same for us with God. He loves us despite us being dust. He loves us despite us being broken, fragile humans. He loves us despite us falling into sin. He doesn't love some future you where you're going to have it all together. Plot to it, you're not going to have it all together one day. Right? Let's just breathe out, relax. You don't have to have it all together. But he loves you now, despite your brokenness, despite your failures despite your sin, he loves you. And this is absolute security and safety. You're safe and secure in God's love, thanks to Jesus. And God's love is infinitely better 
than any of the best parents on earth. Because his love will never let you down. He will never fail you. And the second thing is, we see compassion and anger. Uh, look at verse 8 to 10 with me. It says, The Lord is compassionate, is that word again, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. Here in these verses, we see that God's anger isn't payback anger. And God's anger is not him kind of paying us back because of our sin or our failure. It's not what like I call tit-for-tat anger. When someone hurts you, you want to hurt them back, or someone's angry towards you, so you, like, you try and match it. It's not, he's not being, it's not retribution. Because more often than not, if, um, when your child or your friends or your partner or a co-worker inconveniences you, or humiliates you, or kind of harms you in some way, more often than not, we want to resort to payback anger. We want to, we have that feeling, like, oh, you've, you've embarrassed me. I want to, I need to make this nice, I need to kind of pay you back for it. Maybe it's just me. Maybe, maybe that's better than me. But it's that kind of feeling where it's just like, so you've hurt me, I need to hurt you. You've done this to me. Um, you've hurt my feelings. I want to hurt your feelings. You've created an inconvenience for me. I'm going to make it harder for you. You've humiliated me. I'm going to humiliate you. This is the kind of human condition. This is the default that we go towards. And the bottom line is, this kind of payback anger never works. It never works. It always poisons. It harms. It's a sort of anger that kind of seeks to correct, not build up. It seeks to destroy and tear down. And the reason it never works is because as people who've been made in God's image, God doesn't operate in payback anger. He doesn't operate that way. He doesn't treat us that way. But God does get angry. We see in verse 9, it says, he won't harbor his anger forever, which means he, he does harbor anger. He does get angry. It's not like God is devoid of getting angry. And we see in verse 8 that his compassionate anger, it's slow. It's under control. And it's not held on to forever. And it's the compassion that drives the anger, which means it's intentional. It has purpose. It's not anger that is lashing out, out of control anger. He's angry against the sin. Because God's, God isn't an abusive parent that screams at the kids in uncontrollable anger. He's also not a parent that neglects. He's not a sort of parent that doesn't care and just kind of let their kids get away with anything, just let, let them run wild with no love or guidance. Because like earthly parents, it's not loving to use payback anger on your kids, but it's also not loving to neglect your kids in the way that you let them get away with everything. When you love someone, you show compassion. When you love someone and there's some sort of thing that's gone wrong or something happening, you show compassionate, loving anger. I once heard Tim, uh, Tim Keller quote someone called Becky Pippard, so it's a bit meta, quote unquote, um, who said it this way, kind of talking about this, this parent um, love and this compassion and anger. She said, it's more a father, uh, sorry, the more a father loves his son, the more he hates in his son the drunk, the liar, and the traitor. If God were not angry with how we're destroying ourselves, he wouldn't be good and certainly wouldn't be loving. 
For anger isn't the opposite of love, hate is, and the ultimate form of hate is indifference. So in showing compassion and anger towards us instead of indifference, God is showing his love towards us. Because God loves you too much to leave you where you are. God loves you too much to leave you where you are. He wants to shape us and he wants to change us through correction, through our brothers and sisters in Christ who go alongside us and maybe a gentle correction or rebuke every now and then to be more like Jesus, to get us, right, to get us back on track. Like that feeling that when you read the Bible and you read something like in James, how we have to tame the tongue, and you get that feeling when you read it where you're like, I don't live, I'm not doing this. I'm not, I'm not living in line with what this says. I'm not obeying this scripture. And you get that feeling where you're like, I need to do this. That's God's compassion and anger. That's him correcting you by the Spirit, convicting you. And God's compassion and anger is the sort of anger that isn't, it's not looking at your flaws. It's not looking at your weakness. It's not looking at, hey, what's the thing that I can say in this, this fight that kind of brings this up? No, it's this loving, gentle parent saying, hey, look, I see this going wrong. You've hurt me in this way. I love you. Like, let's, let's put you back on track. And so he looks at you in compassion. We know acts to grinds, no selfish gains to be had. And he shows compassion and anger to get you right back on track. It's not vengeance, but it's a love and compassion. And we see that God is having, oh sorry, we've seen that God having, sorry, we see that having God as our Father means, and this loving Father has compassion and anger. And we see that it also gives us an ultimate home. So look at verse 15 and 16 with me. The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower in the field. The wind blows it over and it's gone. And its place remembers it no more. Uh, a few years ago, I've mentioned this before, I was overseas for college mission. We, have to, we, have to go overseas, we don't have to go overseas. For college mission, you volunteer to go somewhere. I got put on the Paris team, which, again, took up my cross, went to Paris for the gospel. And we're over there. We were working with church plants. I remember you did the 24-hour flight. We landed there at 6 a.m., had the whole day just to do whatever we wanted. So we just walked around. I think I like, <laughs> we walked so far, jet-lagged, full of the God's gift that is French bread. Um, just fueled me. We walked around, saw the beautiful sights. It was a sunny day. And I remember getting back to where we were staying, the, the hostel we were staying in the 15th hour of Dissamont, and I looked out the window and just saw Paris. Just, you know what I mean? Like, you can imagine it. I remember looking at that window, thinking to myself, I'm ready to go home. I'm ready to go home. I remember in that moment, I was like, this is a, this is a weird thought, right? Like, I'm overseas. I've been looking forward to this trip for a long time. I'm in a really beautiful part of the world. But I'm ready to go home. Because we're built for home. Like, I'm, I'm a bit of a homeboy, to confess. I'm a bit of an introvert, so it works for me. But it was, it was a weird thought, right? It was like weird, like something's going wrong here. And I remember thinking to myself, this quote from C.S. Lewis, from Mere Christianity, it's one of my favourite quotes. And he says this, he goes, If we ever find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we're made for another world. And what, what C.S. Lewis is tapping into here, he's, he's tapping into what the end of verse 16 is saying, how our, our home remembers us no more. This disconnect that we feel as humans where we don't have our home. Whether you're far away from home, 
whether your home has been taken away from you. And we, we feel that disconnect. And, we, and every single person, whether you're a believer or not, at some point will have this feeling where you'll think, I'm made for something else. I'm not made for this world. The things in this world aren't satisfying me like I thought they would. The things I thought I'd find satisfaction and fulfillment just aren't doing it. The place, going overseas to a place where I thought, man, would I love being over there, which I did. But I want to be home. Because your home is a place where the colours just make sense. You know, the, I know a lot of us rents, so bear with me, but like the architecture just makes, like it, it just feels right. Like you have the furniture in the right place, um, it just fits you. You have like, the right books in the bookcase. This is all me, by the way. Um, like the floorboards, the walls are the right colour that you want. There's light coming through the window. It's just familiar. Everything fits you. Everything's where it should be. And we like the familiar. Like, we like that. And you can say, like, we sit in the same spot every week, right? Well, a lot of us do. Like, why? Why do we do that? It's because we like the familiar. We like the routine. We go to the same cafes. We like the same rhythms. We park in the same spot. And like the psalmist is saying here, it's like going home and just seeing your home in ruin. It's burnt down. That place that was familiar, where you were comfortable, it's gone. It's that feeling of loss that he's trying to pull out. And it's horrible. And ultimately the psalmist is tapping into this need that we have for an ultimate home. He's tapping into this C.S. Lewis quote, there has to be more than this, how we feel. This can't be all there is. There has to be something that we can't, can't buy in the Sydney property market. There has to be something that is not a childhood home that we have to go back to, to feel this sense of, hey, this is where I'm meant to be. But something eternal, something far greater. We see in verse 17, but from him, everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is where those who fear him, or with those who fear him. I'll say that again. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him. And God's love, this, this fatherly love, is a home. It's a place that you can rock up to and you'll always be welcome. It's that place that you always go to and that the fire's always on. It's that place that you can always go to and there'll be a seat at the table for you. There'll be food, a warm and loving welcome. And Jesus talks about this in John 14, where he talks about how he's, he's gone to prepare a place for us, access to the eternal home. I once heard someone say like this, talking about the new creation, um, like when, when this world fades away, when Jesus comes back, we go to the new creation, it's going to feel like coming home. Like the feeling that we're going to have is like that feeling when you've been away for a long time, you've been, maybe you've worked overseas or been on a long trip and you come home and it's just that familiar feeling. That's what it's going to feel like when we go to heaven, when the new creation comes. We're going to get there and go, this is where we're meant to be. It's, going to, it's just going to fit. The ultimate home we're looking for, it's, it's there. It's in, it's in Jesus. It's a place of complete acceptance. 
complete love and safety. That's all there. So we've had absolute security, compassion, anger, and ultimate home. And, and quickly, I just want to kind of just unpack what, what does this mean for us, right? Because it's very conceptual to be loved by God. What's it actually look like in our lives? How, what's this look like day to day? And the first thing that you need to do is you need to get the, your fact, uh, sorry, you need to get your head around the fact that God loves you, right? Like I mentioned earlier, you sort of let that hit you. Let that like, soak to every fiber of your being. Get around that, the fact that God doesn't love a future version of you, but you right now. He loves you because of Jesus. And that because of Jesus, one day <clears throat> we're going to meet him face to face. It blows my mind the fact that one day this person that I've, we've read about, that you've, you hear about multiple times a week, that you, you read about in your own quiet times in the Bible, that one day you're actually going to meet him face to face. That you're going to stand before him and see him face to face. And the Bible talks about it's going to be like seeing your friend. You need to get your head around the fact that the most powerful, the most powerful being in the whole universe, way more powerful than any political leader, that you have complete access to him. That because of Jesus, we, like JFK Jr., we can come to the Father doesn't matter what mood you're in. doesn't matter how bad your week's been. doesn't matter how dust you feel. You can come to him. You can come to him in prayer. And you can come when you're broken and you're tired and upset. And the, the beautiful thing is that he delights to listen. He wants you to come to him. And second and finally... The way we can apply it to our lives is just to lean in and let it change your life. Look at verse 1 to 2 with me. It says, Praise the Lord, my soul, all, that, all of my inmost being. Praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. What we are to do, and what we would do with what we've heard about with God being our Father, is we're to remember. We're to forget not. We're to remember who he is and we're to remember what he's done for us. When the verse talks about forgetting all his benefits, it's not like it's talking about forgetting someone's name. I don't know if you guys do that. Like, I have a classic for it, and I, <laughs> which isn't good being on Connect, to be honest. But I'll meet someone and I'll shake their hands and I'm more like focused on like the handshake. I'm like, am I, is this weird? Like, you know what I mean? Like, is it the wet fish type thing? Uh, again, don't overread that when I meet you. Um, <laughs> but often I forget people's names. Right? And it takes me a while to learn someone's name, to get my head around someone's name. But it's not, the passage isn't talking about that. It's not talking about like, oh, what's his name again? Jesus, yes, Jesus. Don't forget Jesus' name. It's talking about, don't forget. Wow. I can remember, and don't forget. When the Bible says don't forget, it's talking about act. It's about do it. So when it says, don't forget his benefits, it's saying, hey, live them out. Do it. Don't just kind of hear it and then, yeah, sounds so good on a Sunday, sounds great on Tuesday, Wednesday night or Thursday, Sunday, whatever you meet for GC. It's like, no, let it soak. Let it actually change you. Let the Spirit do it, like, what it, it's here to do and what He's here to do, which is to shape us to be more like Jesus. When God says, Moses, I remember my covenant now, God's not saying, I forgot about the covenant promise I made to you. I'm so sorry. 
I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to remember now and act on it. When God says, Moses, I remember my covenant now, he's, he's saying, hey, I'm, I'm acting. I'm making it happen. To remember biblical truth is to act, to be shaped by, to be defined by, and to live it out. The benefits that are listed in this passage, the attributes of God as Father, as that loving, compassionate Father that we've heard about, aren't just to be remembered like you're going to have an exam sometime this week on it. Let me just remember the information and regurgitate it when I need to. These truths, are the, these truths are to shape our lives. And we're to be shaped by them. They're to shape who are, like every fiber of our being. I think about it this way. Imagine you're going on a holiday next month, right? You're getting out of Sydney. You're getting out of the winter. You're going up to Cairns. We used to do a trip overseas to Bali, classic. Um, but it was the best. I can't wait to do that again. Um, but just imagine you're going to this beach side, you're on a, a beachside suburb up north. COVID cases are low, off the flu, which is now the big thing. The flu's not really around up there. There's good food, good beach weather, good surf. Um, you're going to have time to read that book you've always wanted to read. And so, like someone coming up to you and they're saying, Don't forget you're going on holiday next month. You'd think, I won't. It's my calendar, it's locked away, I've got annual leave sorted. But what it really means is, hey, you're having a bad day, you're having a tough week, that holiday's coming up. You've got something to look forward to. Don't forget there'll be time to catch up and sleep. Hey, don't, don't forget there'll be time to spend with friends and family. Hey, don't forget there'll be, there'll be books to read by the water, that book you've always wanted to read. There's time. Don't forget there'll be good food. Like if I was having a bad week and I had a, ho- a holiday booked out and you said to me, hey, James, just remember, you're going away soon. You have that time just to rest and recover. Tell you now, it'll put a smile on my face. It'll bring a joy to my heart. It might change like a more challenging day or a challenging season into one that's a bit more, one I can tolerate. It's actively remembering who it is that God is and what it is that he's done for us. Not just when it's convenient for us. Because often than not, what we do is we, we treat our relationship with God, we treat our faith like it's kind of home insurance. You know, it's like you, you have it there, you put it in the drawer, you might pull it out when something tough's happening in life or you're there on a Sunday. But it's not really shaping and impacting our lives and changing us. But every other time we forget and we treat our faith like it's a kind of get out of hell card. And we forget what God's done for us. We forget who we are to Him, that He loves us. We don't let it shape our lives. We forget the spiritual blessings that we have in Him. And we forget the gifts of grace that He's given to us by Jesus. We forget the work that He's doing, uh, the Holy Spirit's doing in our lives. But what Psalm 103 is doing, it's, it's reminding you of, of who God is and what we have in Him. And it's commanding us to, to remember these truths, to act, to live them out, to let it change our life, to let it shape our soul, to let it soak into every fiber of our being. And imagine what it would look like for us to be a people that go out every single day, every single week, as imperfect as we can do that, as people who are shaped by the knowledge that we are loved by the God of the universe, that He knows you by name, 
that He knows the number of hairs on your head. He knows what you're going through. He knows the struggles that you have. He knows the unanswered prayers that you're praying. And He loves you so much that He would send His Son to die for you. Let us shape and change how we live our lives, how we view others, where we find our identity and security. Let us shape where we find our joy. Let us shape how we view anger and correction. Let us shape our view of eternity. And that this place is not our home, but man, we've got a future home to look forward to. Let us shape who we are as apprentices of Jesus as we go out into the, the weeks that we have into our city and to, see, uh, to, to help other people find this love and to know the security that we have in Jesus. I'm going to pray that we can do that. Father, I thank you for Jesus. Father, I thank you that just the absolute privilege it is to be called your children Father thank you that we can sit here today knowing that we are loved by you that we don't have to pretend that we don't have to hide our brokenness but that you love us as we are and that when we're in Jesus Father when we put our trust in him you make us more like him and you don't hold our sin against us Holy Spirit I pray that this week that as we go out Help us just walk in this love and our identity as people who are loved by you. Father, help us be a people who don't go into payback anger, that we're compassionate, that we're loving. Father, help us be a people that when things are tough, that we're looking to the future home that we have. That we don't have to worry about the place that doesn't remember us anymore. That in you, that in your love, that you care for us. Father, I pray that even in this moment that you be reminding people in a tangible way of the love that you have for them. I pray for us in the room today who the idea of a loving father might be difficult. It might be hard to fathom. Father, I pray for healing when there needs to be healing. The Holy Spirit, I just pray that you move powerfully in our lives that we can begin to grasp fathom the infinite love that you have. Father, we pray this and glorify you and praise your name like the psalmist does in Jesus' beautiful and powerful name. We praise in Jesus' name now. Amen.